Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you in part by the Art of Manliness store. Yes, we have a store where we sell merch, swag, whatever you want to call it. It's store.artofmanliness.com. We've got our Ben Franklin Virtue Journal there. It's one of a kind product. We've made a journal similar to the Virtues Journal that Ben Franklin made for himself as a young man. We've got posters featuring uh, Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena speech, as well as uh, illustrated guides done by Ted Slampiak. We've got posters there as well. T-shirts, signed copies of our books. So go check it out, store.artofmanliness.com. And if it's your first time purchasing, use code AOMPODCAST at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. So store artofmanliness.com pick up a few things all your purchases at the art of manliness store help support the art of manliness podcast as well as the content we produce on artofmanliness.com thank you this episode of the art of manliness podcast is brought to you by squarespace the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio if you've been thinking about starting a website but have been putting it off because you've been intimidated by the coding or whatever Squarespace makes it super easy to create a just a fantastic looking website in a matter of minutes. It's all point and click and uh, it's just $8 a month and that includes a domain name. No excuses now to get that web business or put up your portfolio online. So if you want a free trial of Squarespace and get 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use offer code MAN, M-A-N. McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, a common thing that we have on the podcast and on the website is this idea of overcoming adversity. Our goal is to help men become resilient in the face of adversity and you know whatever challenges that you might have, whether it's economic or physical or emotional or mental, we want to help you overcome that so you can achieve the goals that you have for yourself. And this whole idea of, of overcoming adversity or being resilient in the face of adversity has been a, a concern for f- philosophers and great men through history for eons. And a group of men that really took this matter to heart were the Stoic philosophers of ancient Greece and Rome, where they developed a whole philosophy and ethic on how to remain calm and in control, even when things are just going to pot around you. The, the Stoic philosophy has been popular amongst just Great men from history, founding fathers, many of them were students of Stoic Stoic philosophy. Generals have been students of Stoic philosophy. Anyways, I'm a big fan of Stoicism. Our guest today um, has been a student of Stoicism. He's written about it, and he's taken Stoicism, used it as a lens to look at the lives of great men and women to see how they applied Stoic principles to turn adversity into opportunities. His name is Ryan Holiday. And his book is The Obstacle is the Way, The Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph. 
Today, Ryan and I are going to talk about stoicism. We're going to talk about the three principles that he lays out on turning obstacles into opportunities. We're, we're also going to discuss um, great men and women from history who overcame insurmountable odds to do great things and actually use that challenge as a, a catapult to do amazing things. And we're going to talk about how you can apply this into your own life. Uh, it's a fantastic podcast. It's a fantastic discussion. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I did. So stay tuned. Ryan Holiday, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. So your book um, is The Obstacle is the Way. Where did that come from? Can you explain that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a there's a Zen saying, the obstacle is the path, right? Which I'd heard before. And for me, as I, so the book is rooted and based in the, the Roman philosophy of Stoicism. And there's a, a quote from Marcus Aurelius where he says, you know, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And I'd seen in a different translation where they said the obstacle becomes the way. And it, so it was this moment where I realized that like Eastern and Western philosophy were both saying the exact same thing, which to me means it's some sort of eternal truth, right? And so I really like that phrase. It really stuck with me. I think I'm actually going to get it tattooed on my arm this weekend. But the idea was the, the things that we think are holding us back or every time we think there's some problem, it's actually like an opportunity to, to do something, something different, but it's, it's, the, it's an opportunity to, to make things better, Right. And so I wanted the whole book is based around that idea and it's filled with examples and stories of people who actually did that. And I just found that like that phrase so clearly articulates a timeless idea that I think all the people that you talk about in Art of Manliness, all the people that I've, you know, like admired in the course of my life and in the books that I've read, that's that's the one similarity that they seem to have in common, that attitude. Yeah. And that's, I mean, the book is, it's about stoicism, but you don't kind of focus on like the history of it. And like, you know, there's lots of books out there like that, right? Um, sure. You kind of focus on a, a actual concrete examples of people living today or in the recent past. And what I find fascinating, you kind of have, you devote a section to this. It's like all these great men and great people from history, like they were drawn to stoicism. Like they had- sure. They read the Stoics all the time. What is it about Stoicism that draws these sort of great souls to the philosophy? Well, I think what's, I think it goes down to, and, and yeah, to go to your point, like I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and thinks like, oh, I need more philosophy in my life because philosophy seems like an abstract theoretical college course that doesn't actually help you with your problems. And I think what sets Stoicism apart from that, and this goes to your question is, it was actually by it was actually written by people who do things or who did things. Like Aristotle is very smart, but like he was an academic, right? Yeah. That's what he did. He was a, he was a smart guy who wrote about the world, but it was inherently limited by the fact that he just wrote about the world rather than living it, right? He was Alexander's academic advisor and teacher, but he wasn't out like leading the troops with Alexander, right? Yeah. But the, the difference between Aristotle and Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus is that these were men who lived very trying, difficult lives on, on the sort of on the on the battlefield, both literate both literally and figuratively. And so the philosophy is rooted in action. You know, Marcus Aurelius is the most powerful man in the world. Seneca is, a, is an influential businessman and an advisor to powerful politicians. Epictetus, although uh, a, a teacher, was a freed slave. So it, he he uh, these weren't 
theoretical explanations about how the world works. Uh, these, this was this was rooted in the school of like sort of practicality, and so I think the reason that the the philosophy has spread so long is that it's it's written by doers for doers, and then. Yeah, I run through some of the people who, who like the Stoics. You have Ambrose Bierce, who's a Civil War veteran and a contemporary of Mark Twain. You know, you have James Stockdale, who spent, you know, was a fighter pilot who spent seven and a half years in Vietnam prison camps. Frederick the Great, you have Theodore Roosevelt, you have George Washington. Thomas Jefferson had a copy of uh, the letters of Epictetus, or the, the essays of Epictetus on his bedside table when he died. You know, Stoicism was written at a very tumultuous time in history. And then when you look at other tumultuous times in history, you tend to see it pop back up and find a new audience because of who it's meant for and what it talks about. Yeah, that's a great point. I just finished reading a book called Roman Honor, um, written by, I forgot the name of the professor. Anyways, uh, she kind of talks about the history of Roman honor, right? This idea, like honor is like, this is your reputation, right? Right. It's like you care about what other people think about you. Right. Um, and she makes the argument that stoicism came to rise in the Roman Republic as the Republic was declining. Uh-huh. And so people had like, you know, Marcus Aurelius, like they stopped kind of caring what other people thought about them and just were more concerned about survival. Right. right? And it's interesting that we kind of, you, you're right. Like today we see stoicism on the rise. It seems like a lot of entrepreneurs are really into it. I don't know. What is it about today's climate that makes uh, stoicism so appealing again? Sure. Well, I think at its core, stoicism is rooted on the idea that you don't control the world around you. You only control yourself, right? And it doesn't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't matter what they can do to you. It just matters how you respond to that. And so I think one, that's, you know, that's the attitude you need in the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. That's the attitude you needed during the, the American Revolution. You needed during the Civil War. You needed during the Victorian era. It's, you needed it during the Industrial Revolution. You needed it in, in a prison camp. And then today you need it in, you know, a, a time of economic upheaval and shifts. And you need it in a world where, you know, what are entrepreneurs but people who are solely responsible for themselves and for other people, right? Like when you're an employee, the idea of stoicism is perhaps less attractive because the ideas of of discipline and self-control and they're not as important, right? Because someone's taking care of you, quote unquote. And, you know, if you're if you're starting a company from nothing, it's a high stress. It's a it's a temptation driven, a distraction driven environment where if you're not on your game and you're not holding yourself to some sort of standard and you don't have a framework for dealing with the problems that you're going to face, you're not going to last very long as an entrepreneur. All right. So in the obstacle is the way you kind of distill stoicism down to like three principles. Sure. What are they? And I guess there's, there's a whole bunch of follow-up questions we can ask that, but so yeah, let's start off. What are the three kind of distilled principles of the obstacles of the way? Yeah. So look, I think stoicism is a bunch of different principles or disciplines, right? And I'm focusing on this, this one idea of using stoicism to turn obstacles upside down. Like the Stoics think there is nothing bad that can happen to you because everything is an opportunity to practice some virtue. And they have a pretty expansive definition of virtue, but in, in every opportunity, even if, if I was trying to do one thing and then that's impossible, I can still do all these other things. And so the three disciplines that I think are really important to that idea, the first step is perception. That's, that's you know, being able to control your emotions, 
That's being able to look at things objectively. That's being able to sort of shift your perspective so you can see things from various angles. That's, that's having a, a sort of a strong nerve. So you're not, you know, freaked out by something that's hard or difficult. That's having a, a kind of ambition or a goal. So you're able to see past what other people say, you know, is or isn't realistic. So th- those perceptions are really important. And, and I think the clearest iteration uh, or explanation of that idea is a quote from Epictetus where he says, there is no good or bad. There's only perception, right? Things are what they are we decide whether they're good or bad. And if we don't decide they're bad, then they're good. And if we don't decide they're, they're good, they're bad. And so if you can look at these things and, and prevent yourself from adding these labels and explanations to you, your obstacle is going to be much easier, right? The next one is action. And, and I perhaps took more liberty with the action phase than I did anywhere else. But, you know, the Stoics were sort of ruled by what they felt like sort of virtue. And so that's, you know, thinking of people other than yourselves, that's, that's, you know, being just and honorable, as you said. So I'm thinking about how you use those approaches to solve problems. I think energy is probably the biggest, you know, people face these problems and they sit around and look for these like perfect solutions to them, right? It's like, oh, I need this, I need that, or like I, I tell the story in the book of Amelia Earhart, um, and I may have gotten this example from you, but like her first offer to fly across the Atlantic was a preposterous offer, right? It's like, we want to have the first female fly across the Atlantic, but we're going to send two male chaperones with you. They're going to get paid. You're not. You're going to be crammed in the back of the plane. You're probably going to die, and they're going to get most of the attention after. And like to me, that's very analogous to, I'm sure a lot of people that you know, who graduated from college recently and then they moved back in with their parents because they didn't get the perfect job offer that they felt that they were entitled to, right? (laughs) That's not what a stoic does. A stoic takes what they're given as a given and works on it from there. So for, I think the action section is very much about, you know, creativity. It's about pragmatism. It's about persistence. Um, There's, there's some military strategy in there where I talk about, um, you know, attacking from the flanks rather than head on, not, not, not having strength go against strength. And then the final one is the discipline of the will. And I use Abraham Lincoln as the example of this guy who was just sort of a plodding, enduring, patient man who was able to outlast this terrible thing that was the civil war because he'd suffered from depression his whole life. And he sort of, he knew his favorite saying was this idea of this too shall pass. And so that, that last section is about the understanding that there are some things that you can't change in life and you've got to accept them and you've got to outlast them or, or find the benefit within them. We're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. Uh, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to go to squarespace.com and enter the discount code or offer code MAN, M-A-N, to get 10% off your subscription and uh, also to show your support for the Art of Manliness podcast. And uh, now back to the show. Now you've sort of talked about it so far, but this idea that sort of underlies these three principles is like inversion, right? Mm-hmm. Always flipping things. And I think we can see that in the perception thing. You want to like right. look at an obstacle and you want to flip it and say, there's an opportunity there. 
but it, it also seems like it underlies these other two principles, like in sure. action and in will. Can Am I am I right in that? or? Yeah, to- totally. I mean, look, I, I think a clear example of this is if you look back on your own life or if anyone looks back on their own life, they see failures that were really awful at the time. But with distance, they almost wouldn't trade those failures for anything because we learned from them. We got stronger from them. We look at the bad things that happened to us and we realize how often they were blessings in disguise, right? And so, and yet, so we know failure has benefits for us, and yet we do everything we can to avoid ever failing, right? Or we fail sort of kicking and screaming. And so, like, one of the things I'm talking about is this more iterative approach. Instead of trying to perfect everything in the lab, which is what you think you need to do to, to be perfect and prevent th- bad things from ever happening, in fact, you want to be more fluid and iterative. So you're failing on purpose and you're learning from them. So it's like, how can you take the worst things in life, whether it's failure um, and, and find an advantage of it? I have a chapter in there on, on sort of meditating on your own mortality. You know, death is obviously the worst thing that can happen to us. But without death, life is meaningless. It just goes on and on. And there's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of purpose. There's no... Um, that mean if life is if life goes on, it means the bad things in life go on and on as well. And so I think if you can look at death and you could you can find a motivating, a uh, beneficial factor from it, it's pretty clear to me that you can find good things in in pretty much every aspect of what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, one thing that really struck to me was in your section about action. Talking about you know attacking from the flank, right? <laughs> Usually the, the people want to like okay, you're gonna attack, you gotta like just you got to, you got to move. You got to be the aggressor. Right. That's what action means. But you make an argument and devote a section to like, no, sometimes that's not what you want to do. In fact, you want to just be passive and let them come to you. So you're you're like inverting the action. Yeah. So like uh, one of my favorite writers is BH Liddell Hart. He was a brilliant world war one commander who became a military strategist. He wrote a bunch of excellent books, but he did this study of basically, I think he looked at like 250 campaigns throughout history. And he's, he was like, what was the decisive battle in all of them? Right. And in almost every one, it was not a head to head confrontation between two major armies. It's not a Napoleonic clash between two major, you know, entrenched forces. It was always something around the side or a deception or a, a quick maneuver that caught someone off guard. Right. Like the most decisive battle of the Revolutionary War was was, you know, George Washington crossing the Delaware on Christmas Day to attack troops that might have been drunk. Right. And and yet when we like if you're starting a bit, if if someone else wanted to, to start a site about manliness, that's probably not a good idea. If you want the male demographic, don't start another site where you have an entrenched competitor who owns a niche. Right. Sure. You want to find. You want to find the areas where the strong are weak and you are strong. And that's where you did it. That's where, that's where you attack. Like force doesn't go against force. And when you look at some of the most powerful, effective movements in history, whether it's the civil rights movement, whether it's Gandhi or militarily, it's the Russians versus Napoleon and then against the Germans, they just retreated into the interior and they let this main army sort of dissipate all its energy until they realized that they'd walked into a trap, right? Yeah. And so that idea of passive resistance or or almost a jujitsu move, I think is is highly underrated. And it's underrated and underutilized because 
it's not as exciting and it doesn't feel as manly, but if it works, it works. Right. Exactly. It's, it's pragmatic. And like the Stokes are just all about, yeah, if it works, that's what we're going to do. Totally. All right. Um, so yeah, one thing I love about this book is you just, there's so many, you, you go to history and you find examples, like concrete examples of where these principles applied. I mean, that's, I love that. That's what we do on the art of manliness. We try to do. Um, was there a particular instance or example that really called out to you personally? Yeah. So what I, when, and that's what I try to do is I don't want to just tell people that this stuff is good. I want yeah. to like show examples. And I learned this from Robert Greene who wrote the 40 laws of power. He's my mentor. And he, he sort of showed me that the best way to tell, to make a point is to tell it in a story. So that, that's what I wanted to do. You can just read the original books if you want the theory. If you want examples, like that's why I wrote this book. Um, two favorites. I think my one of my favorites I actually got from you. For people who don't know, I, I called Brett uh, when I was thinking about writing this book. And I was like, you know, who are your favorite people in history that overcame obstacles that I should look at? And ironically, he gave me a female example. <laughs> he gave me Laura Ingalls Wilder, who... You know, you think of as this, you know, like she wrote these books about the prairie, but she lived the life that she's talking about in the book. And if you look at it on paper, that life was terrible, right? Like who wants to live in like the backwoods of Florida, then like the the, the prairies of Kansas in a, like a, you know, a grass hut, like that would be awful, right? But she loved it. Like she saw it as this adventure. And I have a quote from her in the book where she says, there's good in everything if you look for it, which is which is actually, you know, a very stoic idea. Shakespeare has a similar line where he says, um, nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And so this idea of this this little woman, uh, like, which I guess is funny, but this little woman, <laughs> this little woman just seeing all this all this adversity as an adventure and that switch turning it from awful to amazing. Um, and that's why it's enthralled all these, you know, kids and readers for a hundred years now, I think is really great. And I love that story. Two of my favorites, you know, I tell the story of Demosthenes, who is the, the Athenian orator, um, who a lot of people didn't know before he became this powerful, you know, speaker who could mobilize the Athenian army against uh, Philip of Macedon was was a, a crippled boy with a stutter whose guard, whose parents died and then his guardian stole everything from him. And he, it's almost like a movie montage. Like he, t- he overcame his stutter by like filling his mouth with rocks and then talking through them or and shouting through the wind until he developed these strong lungs. And then at one point, built an underground study and shaved his head, half of his head, so he'd be too embarrassed to go outside. And so it's like, you know, this terrible thing. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means more room for your gear. And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. 
Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money and things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. If you're like my family, we're getting to the busy part of the year. Spring sports are happening, a lot of after-school activities. So sometimes planning and cooking dinner, just don't have time for that. That's where Factor Meals comes in. With Factor, you get fresh, never-frozen meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, you get restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. It's also less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factor meals in the McKay household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week, I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach, cauliflower, rice, roasted green beans. Tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time. Uh, to to take care of dinner and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factor Meals, head to factormeals.com slash manliness50 and use code manliness50 to get 50% off. That's code manliness50 at factormeals.com slash manliness50 to get 50% off. Check it out today and make sure to check out the creamy pesto pork chop. It's really good. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss, a lot of useful information in there, talked about the value of known in negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Happened to him. He was, you know, he was, his trust was violated as a child. He was born disabled. And yet it was precisely those events that made him who he ultimately was. And it was in the course of righting those wrongs that he developed his reputation as a speaker and eventually became a politician and this great influential figure. So I really like that. Lissy's S. Grant, who I think is criminally under, underrated in history as a, as a thinker and a strategist and a man, he wasn't a great president, but whatever. 
Uh, John D. Rockefeller is one of my favorites. Uh, Amelia Earhart was great. Um, and then Erwin Rommel, I think, was a was a, is obviously a controversial figure, but was really interesting and fascinating as a, as a strategist. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. So we've talked a little bit about the Strenuous Life here on the podcast. It's an online platform that we created to help you put into action all the things we've been writing about and talking about on the art of manliness for the past 11 or so years. And we've done that a few ways. First, we created a series of 50 different badges based around 50 different skill sets. So there's hard skills like self-defense, wilderness survival, land navigation, home and auto repair. But there's also soft skills like public speaking, communication, personal finance, how to be a better husband, better father. And so with each badge, there's like specific action points or requirements you're supposed to take. And by the time you earn this thing, you're not gonna be an expert, but hopefully you'll start greasing the wheels so you'll get going and take this uh, further. We've also created accountability features to get you doing physical activity every single day, doing a good deed to get yourself outside of your head and thinking about others. Uh, We also send out weekly challenges. They're going to push you in different facets of your life. And we've created ways for you to meet up with other TSL members in your area so you can have face-to-face meetups and work on this stuff together because we're a big believer in face-to-face interaction here at AOM. Now we've got a new enrollment coming up the first week of April. If you want to be one of the first to know when enrollment opens up, head over to strenuouslife.co. There is a email sign-up form there. Put your email on the list. You'll be one of the first to know that when enrollment opens up, spots fill quickly. So you got to act fast. So first week of April, enrollment opens up, strenuouslife.co, get your email on the waiting list. Hope to see you there at the Strenuous Life. Yeah. Those are all great examples. Just so much you can learn from those people. Was there one you liked? Well, you know, of course I love Teddy Roosevelt. Me too. That's And I love the Demonstities one. That was, I mean, his story is just fascinating. And then, uh, what was the other one that I, well, you know, the the hurricane, right? That was a great one. I mean, I think that's a perfect example of living like the obstacle is the way like you just decide i'm not going to be a prisoner i might be in prison but i'm not in pr- I'm, I'm not you're not going to treat me as a prisoner totally i just read this amazing article i forget about which boxer but i guess there was another boxer at the same time who actually boxed in prison and almost won the heavyweight title wow uh, it was it's crazy i think it was on bleacher report it was this crazy long read about this guy who he like he would fight in the, they would bring boxers and set like, you know how you're allowed to have jobs in prison, right? Yeah. Well, they let him, his job be a boxing coach. And, and he, he, he almost won the middleweight, like a belt as a professional boxer in prison. And so to me, like these stories, it's like, look, chances are you and I will not be wrongfully accused of quadruple homicide. Like yeah. anytime soon, right? If all goes as planned, that won't happen. But at the same time, it, it surely wasn't Hurricane Carter's plan either, right? But like, if they can wait out, you know, a twenty-year prison sentence and somehow come out not just not worse off, but better off, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, the your deadline getting moved up or you getting laid off from a job or you know the economy tanking, these are not nearly as catastrophic of events as we're telling ourselves right now because that's how they feel. Yeah. Well, here's a question I have. Um, as I was reading this, you read these examples from history and like the obstacles that these people face were like, they were like tough stuff, like war, famine, death, harsh weather, whatever, poverty. And like, it's sort of counterintuitive. Like I've encountered like physically hard things in my life and like tragedies in my life, but for some weird reason, like it was hard, but like, it seemed easier to overcome than like some of those more intangible and internal problems in your head. Sure. Um, do you agree with that? And if so, why do you think that is like, why is it easier to like confront like a, 
you know, a physical challenge or a tragedy than it is sort of like the daily grind of life. Sure. Well, I wonder if part of it is like biologically we're like designed to, it's more imperative that we survive those than the other problems, mm-hmm. right? Like your genes don't care if you're as happy as much as they care that you just don't die. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's part of it. And then I think I, one of the things that I realized in the book is that you look at these terrible things that these people went through and like, it wasn't, sometimes it wasn't even like the worst thing that they ever went through. Right. Like, and, and you realize it's because they had this kind of frame one, they had a framework for dealing with obstacles. And I think stoicism was a big part of that. But two, when, when the world felt much more unpredictable and capricious than it does now, it was easier to take these things in stride, you know? Um, and, and like when a tornado could come and you didn't know what a tornado was and you just thought the hand of God was turning your town upside down, right. You'd be a little less conceited and pretentious and delusional about how safe you were at any given moment when like your wife unexpectedly dies, um, and you didn't know it was because the cut on her finger got it like infected. Yeah. You you would be more humble about you know tempting fate and taking things for granted. I would say, and I but I also wonder if just being consumed by that fear and doubt made some of the emotional problems take a back seat. And so now, having dealt with some of that stuff, we we feel more insulated, and yet we don't have that framework that they did to deal with tough problems. And I think we need that. And I also, the final thing though, I would say is like, I don't want to discount anyone's emotional or difficult problems. Like, you know, your girlfriend dumps you, it can literally feel like the world is ending and, and it feels really awful and that's tough. And I don't want people to say like, to pretend that they don't feel pain and that it's not bad because they like, it's certainly better than being like stomped on by an elephant. Yeah. Well, that's a good point about how we, you know, we live in a time of relative, like it's the safest time in human history. Right. Right. But yet we still think it's the most dangerous time. Like, oh, it's so horrible out there. And I guess it's because there's so few instances of like crime or violence or mayhem that when it does happen, it's just like, holy cow, this is the worst, worst ever when that stuff happened all the time. Sure. I mean, look, you and I are talking to each other on high definition video states apart from each other for free. Yeah. Right. Like this, it's crazy. And you're recording it and it's going to go on a website and be seen by millions of people. Like it's very easy when you, when those things are commonplace in your life to start to assume that like the world has been tamed or domesticated and that all the sharp edges have been rounded off. And ironically, and this is what the Stoics talk about, that makes the bad things feel so much worse because you're never anticipating them. So I talk a lot about that. It's like, you would be much better off if you thought about the worst case scenario more often. And I'm not saying that you should be a pessimist, but if you're not anticipating and you're not, there was a a meditatio malorum, the idea of premeditation of evils, like what could go wrong? This is what I'm planning, but I understand that X, Y, or Z could happen. And that this is what I plan to do about them prepares you and doles the the surprise in a or the shock in a much beneficial way. Yeah, I think it's interesting too that okay, so like, you know, the the Romans, the the, the Stoics like yeah, they faced like it was a horrible time then, but like what I found interesting is like the people who were drawn to it were like 
successful people, people who right. were, could were relatively sh- probably sheltered from a lot of that stuff. And like, it seems like they were drawn to it as a way to, I don't know, harden themselves up. No, I think that's a great insight. And what a lot of people miss is they think that stoicism, because they read these exercises and they, they hear, it's like, oh, you should think about the worst thing that should happen and you should prepare for poverty and warfare. And they think that it's depressing, right? And that these must have been just really downer people. And in fact, no, it's sort of like, um, it's almost like a, a bias by omission that, that has been wrongly deduced um, by a lot of the readers. Nobody needs help. Like what the Stoics believed was nobody needs help, like being reminded, like what happiness feels like and why you should smile and love your children and like, like having sex. And like, you don't need a book that like tells you these things are good, right? That's natural. Like feeling good when you're successful, that sort of biologically takes care of itself. What the Stoics felt is like, what we need is that we need that counterbalance. We need the reminders so we don't get too exuberant in either direction or too extreme. And these were reminders to sort of center themselves. They weren't, it wasn't like depressing people telling themselves depressing things. It was normal people girding themselves and preparing themselves for things that they hoped wouldn't happen, but they knew very well could happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's really fascinating. So when I was reading the book, the one, I mean, all of it's really great, but the one section that hit home to me for some reason was in your section about the will yeah. and uh, about perseverance. And I feel like all of us have this tendency to believe that everything, if, you know, we're waiting for things just to be just right. Like we're waiting right. for Plato's Republic, right? Mm-hmm. And, and instead, you know, how do you overcome that? Because I know it's not true, right? I keep on thinking, okay, if everything was just this way, then my life will be awesome. But never, I mean, you have kids, man, like nothing goes as planned. So how do we overcome this tendency to believe that my life will be great if things were just so? Sure. Well, I I sort of, I make the distinction in the book and in action, I talk about persistence, which is just sort of staying at it and hammering away at what you're doing. And then persistence, or sorry, perseverance, I say, is sort of something deeper and larger. That's like that deep endurance. Like, you know, you have to be persistent to train yourself to run like five miles. But if you want to do like an ultra marathon, like you have to have this deep iron part of you that you can rely on when when things are awful and you you just want to quit. And so like I'm not, I'm not sure if there's like a recipe other than like, you just have to develop this skill over time, you know? And, and you have to, you have to realize that like things can not go the way that you wanted and things can be bad and people can prevent you from doing what you want, but they can never prevent you from holding on. Right. Like you can get rejected by every, you know, record label in the world, but it's ultimately up to you when you decide to quit music, you know? Like I can put out this book and it can sell zero copies, but it's ultimately up to me. I make the final decision on whether this is like a failure that I quit. Like no one can ever take the ability to persevere away from you other than death. Right. And, and that's what I think that's what these people had. Like I, I quote, um, there's this line about Magellan and Someone was like, you know, what was his greatest skill? And his greatest skill was that he could endure hunger better than the other men. Like he just had a little bit extra in the tank and he wanted it worse than them or wanted it more than them. And he just wouldn't give up and he would endure whatever it took to get there. And I think that's really important 
And I also think that's the opposite of what a lot of us are taught. And a lot of us don't develop that skill. You know, like we talked about Theodore Roosevelt, like he's born with asthma. I remember kids my age having asthma and it's like, they can't play sports. They can't do that. Their life was defined by what they can't. Yeah. Rather than like, rather than being someone like Theodore Roosevelt, who's like, who almost took that as a challenge. And, and I think the book is about seeing those things as a challenge rather than a constraint. Yeah. Well, are there any um, examples from your own life where you turned an obstacle into an opportunity? Yeah. So that's the one question that I probably got the most when I've been doing stuff for this book. And in a weird way, and I know it probably sounds like I'm dancing around it. I kind of, I kind of like say like that question because, (laughs) because like, this isn't about me, right? This is about like a framework for overcoming obstacles that yes, I've personally used and took a lot out of, but I also like, I wrote the book for myself, right? Like I wrote the book so I could get better at it. I'm not in the book at all. I'm not talking about myself in the book. No, you don't. But I'm talking about like, this is what's worked and we can all use it. But like, you know, we all go through stuff in our lives. Like, you know, I dropped out of college at 19. You know, my my life has been high stakes, high pressure for as long as I can remember. And every day there's been problems and things that made me want to quit or make me want to stop. And I have to remind myself that these are these are challenges that are making me better. These are opportunities to do stuff. Like I'm in the middle of something now with some of my business partners and it's like, it's awful. And then it's like, but it's also forcing me to have confrontations or conversations that I would rather not have that I'm getting better from and I'm learning from and I'm figuring out, I'm figuring out what I don't want, like from this exact experience. And I think it's that attitude that's helped me, you know, achieve what I've achieved, but I would much prefer to put the spotlight on other more relatable challenges because I don't want, I don't want to talk to someone who's had to over, who was born into, you know, abject poverty and say like, look, I know what you were going through because like, you know, my first world problems were really tough for me to go through. (laughs) Well, it's interesting that you said, you know, you wrote this book for yourself. It sounds like very much like Marcus Aurelius, you know, his meditations, like we read them, but like, that was like for him only really. Totally. Yeah. Like, like the, most of the Stoic works, like they weren't works for publication. They were like Stoicism is a series of exercises and turning the obstacle upside down is an exercise. And they would write examples or anecdotes or new phrasing to help them like be better at it. And for me, I was trying to write the book like, yeah, I'm a writer. So I write things. So it's a little bit different, but like I was trying, I was thinking about myself when I was writing this stuff and thinking about the times that I did the opposite of this stuff and what I wish I'd done instead and what I want to do next time. Yeah. That's awesome. Is there something like, I always like to end the podcast with like, you know, sure. sort of like a takeaway, like what can I do now or an action point? Like, is there one thing that you think a, a person who's listening to this podcast right now can do today that they'll experience like a payoff, right? You know, they'll be like, man, that's, that's, this is helping me um, that from the obstacles of the way. Sure. I guess, I guess I would, I, I think this mental flip is really easy to apply. It's not easy to, to do and live yeah. by. It's easy to think about. It's like, take the worst thing that ever happened to you and then think about the benefits that you derived from that, you know, like getting rejected from this, getting kicked out of that, you know, quitting this, and then think about 
what happened after. And I think you'll see the, I think you'll see that it wasn't all bad, that there were real benefits. And then instead of waiting five years or 10 years or 20 years afterwards to get those benefits, why don't you start thinking about them now? So whatever that thing that you're afraid of, um, or this thing that's in front of you or facing you, you know, like what can you, what benefits are inherent within it? And can you focus and lean into those? And does that make, you know, the, the, the pill, so to speak, easier to swallow? Yeah, that's great stuff. And I, I think that will really help out a lot. And what I love too, about your, the book and your, just the, what you're putting out here is that it's, yeah, it's easy to think about, but it's hard to put in practice, but I love that. It's like a challenge that it's like, it's not going to happen right away. It's sort of a lifelong process. Sure. And look, I also think like, look, I wrote this book to convey like wisdom that a lot of people smarter than me had put down on paper or in history over the years. But like, I also just want to remind people, it's like, look, whatever you're going through, chances are a hundred years ago, someone went through more or less the same thing, but probably worse. Right. <laughs> um, like, you know, your, your money is tight, like, but you know, at least debtors prisons don't exist. Yeah. Right. Or whatever. Right. Like things were much worse before. And this, this is a great time. But so those people, many of them wrote about what they went through and gave very explicit advice and lessons. Um, you know, there's, there's a, um, there's a great line from Bismarck, I think, where he's saying like, you know, any fool can learn from experience. I prefer to learn from other people's experiences. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a, a bibliography in this book. You know, I have my reading list where I give out recommendations. Like there's so many books out there of people giving amazing advice on dealing with tough, crappy problems. Like benefit from that knowledge. Don't do it by yourself and white knuckle it when you don't have to. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Ryan, where can people find out about The Obstacle is the Way? Yeah, so uh, theobstaclesaway.net or .com, I think is the website. My website's ryanholiday.net. The book is available in bookstores everywhere. Uh, it's on Amazon. Check it out. Uh, I hope you really like it. And I always take emails from people who have questions. It's just my name and, uh, at Gmail. Awesome. Well, Ryan Holiday, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Our guest today was Ryan Holiday. Ryan is the author of the book, The Obstacle is the Way, The Timeless Art of Turning Adversity into Advantage. The book is releasing on May 1st. You can find that on Amazon.com. You can also find out information about his book at theobstacleistheway.com. I highly recommend you go pick up a copy. It's a quick read, but it's just packed with information. I've read it twice already. I'll probably be reading again pretty soon because it's so... It's just got so much great, useful, and inspirational information. So go check it out. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And until next time, stay manly. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. 
With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.